This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Tuesday. Good to be with you, Matt and Patrick here today. I only wish we could see... Do you know that they're live streaming the flag and emblem meeting with our friend Anita Gall, who's over there, part of this committee? They're live streaming this on 9 right now. The action, the excitement that you can see from it all. Oh, I'm just riveted by the thought of... Laser Loon is not there, dude. It's just, I think we're all disappointed about this, isn't it? <laughs> Laser Loon blasting and exploding Wisconsin. You know, that is, that's, I think, a, a design that really captures the spirit of Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> you can always turn it another direction if you need to zap Iowa or the Dakotas. Well, it's, it's, well not Canada. I mean, it's it's. I mean, have you been fishing up there? It's good stuff up there. So we'll 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 we'll, we'll stay nice. But yeah, depending on it, can be like a like a weather vane. You know, just whichever direction we need to, to aim it. Uh, yeah, they've got the pictures out there of the the the. Okay, so I guess this is it. It's they got twenty five finalists in each category. And they're going to narrow it down to five total by the end of the day. And those will be the ones we get to choose from in regards to the flag or emblem. And so, yeah, well, well this is, it, it's, it's, you, you don't get to do this, but once every few hundred years. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see in like a few hundred years. It's like, I can't believe the state made this flag. It's so discriminatory. Because you know, clearly we need to update the flag because the standards of the time in 1858 when we made that first flag to today have changed. I can only imagine what it's going to be like in 200 years. Damn that Matt McNeil. Damn him. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm 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 not going to deny. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I've uh, got our good friend Patrick Hooligan. I, I don't have nearly the heavy interview lineup that I usually I had yesterday. Holy cow, was that it was a great out a great show. If you had a you missed it, we had um Rose Roach on Roach, uh, Roach on from uh Healthcare All, for All Minnesota. We had Ellie Krug on trying uh, talking about the transgender day of remembrance. We had uh Terry John Zila joined us from New Orleans to give us our usual Thanksgiving food rundown and Broadcorp was here for the Vikings and talking Thanksgiving as well. Just fantastic. But, you know, today, Patrick Cooligan, pound for pound, probably the, the definitely the best news outlet in this t- in this town, Minnesota Reformer. It's absolutely fantastic. And, uh, yeah, he's the, the grand poobah over there. He'll be joining Brett coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. You are not going anywhere this holiday season, correct, Patrick? You are in town? Yep, I'll be around here. Are you going to be doing any sports, any games, anything like that? Uh, that'll start next week. Yeah, okay. All right. Because so, I know you do You do a lot of uh, play-by-play for hockey and stuff like that, right? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, unfortunately, not anything this weekend. Uh, kind of bummed out that I'm sitting out the start of the hockey season, but I'll be out there starting next week. But take advantage of it. You know, you mm-hmm. got you got the nice. I mean, have you gone to see the Christmas Carol of the Guthrie? Go see the Christmas Carol of the Guthrie. It's good fun. It's it's three ghosts. Three ghosts, I say. The ghost of the Christmas future. A fresh, a Christmas yet to come. Yee. Creepy. I like. Yeah, who doesn't like creepy Halloween? Ooh, Ooh yes. Uh, good stuff if you get the chance to go see that. Uh, but you know, you, you, it's a great town. Head on out and enjoy some things. I'm gonna. I'm a little concerned. I got to pay attention to the weather on Sunday. I got to drive my daughter back up to UMD on Sunday. So hopefully the weather. You know what I mean. Thanksgiving travelers in the Twin Cities should brace for busy roads and airport terminals amid the projected surge in holiday trips. An estimate. By the way, can I just say one quick side note, if I may? Thanks, Joe Biden. Gas prices went down this Thanksgiving season. I can't remember the last time we saw decreasing gas prices over a holiday weekend. I I can't remember that. And I'm not going to say they're going to stay there. But was it three fifteen a gallon in the metro area? Nice. And I got a hybrid. So, man, I'll tell you what. Get a hybrid from Rudy Luther Toyota. Seriously, that is just a phenomenal vehicle. I filled up, I filled up, what what day was it? I filled up on, I filled up on Sunday. That was the first time I filled up since Halloween. (laughs) It tells you exactly how good the hybrid is. It's amazing. But thank you, Joe Biden. Thanks for lowering the gas prices this holiday season. We sure appreciate it. Right now, Rido is frantic what no you don't understand the moonbeams were flying into the opec and and, and you know you, you can't give it that was the oil executives themselves that wasn't that was a job i don't give him credit don't same people that the second it goes up they're like look what joe biden did thanks joe biden i'm just holding you to the republican standard you're doing a great job uh, Thanksgiving travelers in the Twin Cities should brace for busy roads. Uh, the estimated 4.33 million people across the AAA's west-north central region are expected to travel 50 miles or more this w- week, uh, marking the busiest Thanksgiving travel period since the pandemic. That figure, which covers travel in Minnesota and six other states in the Midwest and Great Plains, is the fourth highest on record. Nationally, 54.4 million travelers are expected to hit the roads and skies for the holiday. That is, is that about, yeah, that's about a sixth of the country. One sixth of the entire country is going to hit the road. Wow. Uh, That's a 2.3 increase over last year. TSA is expected to screen 30 million passengers over the travel period, which began on Friday. By the way, quick side note, when I flew back, when we flew back from New Orleans, my, (laughs) my wife got stopped. And what it was is she had a you know she had an over the counter medication before anyone said she had an over the counter medication that set off the 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 this X ray machine, and so and then what happened is they brought the wand out and it triggered the wand and I'm like honey did you decide to become a drug mule while we were down in Louisiana I didn't think that that was something that was a good idea no it was a simple it it just. It will react, and they better safe than sorry. And by the way, good. I'm glad you guys did this. They actually did. The, they had the TSA agent um, pat down, you know, a female agent pat down my wife. They started unpacking her bags. They actually did took a sample of the the medication and gave it to another guy who ran to a different room to do some testing. Came back and like, yeah, it's okay, fine. 
And the TSA agent came up and he said, and she said, after she does it, your wife is a gem. There's so few people that go through this that are as nice and as pleasant as she is. I'm like, yeah, she is. Yeah, she's, a, trust me, I know that's a very patient woman. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they're only doing their job. So a big salute to the uh, TSA screeners are out there. Uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport ex- uh, projecting the busiest Thanksgiving travel season in four years with pre- uh, peaks nearing the uh, 2019 passenger levels. Wednesday is expected to be the peak departure day with an estimated 37,000 passengers to be screened at checkpoints. Friday and Sunday should be 34,000. Okay, so Wednesday. Okay, let me let me do quick Matt's math corner here on this one because that I, how many per hour? Is that uh, 37,000 people divided by 24? Jeez, that's 1,541 people, 1,542 people, 1,542 people per hour. Per hour. Ugh. Uh, travel troubles could come down for more than crowds. A series of storms in the forecast across the U.S., mainly in the East Coast, could cause disruptions. And um, I was watching uh, Sven's weather forecast yesterday and he made the good point is if they have troubles on the east coast you end up you having it you know kind of a ripple effects across the country you can have weather problems on the west coast it doesn't nearly affect the airline travel as the east coast uh, more people means more congestion transportation secretary pete Buttigieg says in a briefing monday that while we can't control the weather we can also be using every tool at our disposal to keep cancellation delays as low as possible in the first place Give yourself plenty of time to get to your destination. If you're flying, make, be sure to uh, uh, go to uh, uh, you know you know keep a track of your timeline on your flights there. Um, and reminder: with if you are picking up out of town guests that are people that are flying into MSP, the airport announced the second cell phone lot, which is in the south side of Post Road. Which, by the way, once again, that's that's just freaking common sense. Can I tell you how hard it is? When I've been at uh, the Terminal 1 or Terminal 2, um, the Delta Terminal, the Sun Country Terminal, if I'm there and I have to just drive around in circles until they get there. I, I had it one time where a friend of mine says, oh, um, you know, we've landed and to come get them. And I'm like, great. You know, he's going to be waiting for me at the outside. I get there, not there, not there, not there, 20 minutes. Apparently, they could not find someone to get the gate attached to the plane so they could get the plane unloaded. So they sat there for about 45 minutes waiting for someone to get out there. Yeah, that, that, not, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So I think that cell phone lot idea is just so smart. You park there, say, text me when you're at the door. I'll be right there. Boom, done. So. That's that's quality we can use. Um, if you're going to be driving across the country, there is an interesting discussion that popped up over the weekend, this last weekend. And the more I kind of think about it, the more I kind of start asking the question that everyone else is asking too, because we have had numerous cases of particularly people stealing a car and then driving at excessive speeds through the metro streets of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and out in rural Minnesota as well. This is They are trying that in the small town. You guys suck at stopping it. I'm just going to let you know. That's just a reality observation. It's a cold world. But it does happen out there. 
And people will, and, and it's gotten to the point where to try to stop these people from going 110, 120, 130 miles an hour on a, a city street that, you know, police will actually pull off the chase because they don't want to in, incite the person to try to drive faster because at that speed, it is, it's, it's, there is no surviving there. You can have as many airbags in the car as you want. You could, you could hit a marshmallow a giant marshmallow and you're still going to probably both be dead at that speed. It just is that, that there's no safety there. And then God forbid you hit anyone else or another vehicle because you do the damage there. And that is a very common thing. Now, and it should be noted. I want to mention one other thing here before I get into the story that's popped up here, that the maximum speed limit currently on a highway in this country is 85 miles an hour. And it's not out in the West. It's actually down outside of Austin, Texas. They have some highways down there that have 85 miles an hour, which I don't know if that's <laughs> is that for progressives in Texas trying to drive to Austin or conservatives in Austin trying to get the heck out of town. I don't know which one it is, but it's one of the other. Uh, so 85 is the max. And apparently it used to be that you could drive. Some highways did not have speed limits on them, but they actually, because I guess of lawsuits, and I don't know the details on this, that they actually started imposing law, uh, speed limits. And pretty much on a lot of the roads, 80 is where they got to the speed limit, 80 miles an hour. So here is the question that has popped up and people are starting to have a discussion about. Why do we have cars that can go more than 100 miles an hour? Now, I'll be the first to say, a crash at 80 miles an hour is going to do a lot of damage. But we do have roads that have speed limits at above 80 miles an hour. The question is, why do we allow cars to go even faster than the fastest speed limit in the country? And I don't want to hear this, well, ah, street race. Well, <laughs> sure thing, Vin Diesel. <laughs> Family. Yeah, okay, fine. Fine, fine. You shouldn't be doing that. Now, if, you, if you're one of these people that has a, one of those hobby cars that you take out to an actual track and you run it around the track at, at speeds, well, that's different. But those are generally not street legal vehicles. They're generally not. We, for some reason, and, and I, you know, most cars, if you look at them, they have speedometers that go up well above 100 miles an hour. Why? Why? Why, do, why are we allowing this to happen? Most of us, and I'm going to be blunt, I mean, because I have been in Europe and I drove, drove on the Autobahn and I drove a car at, I think it was 120 miles an hour on the Autobahn when it was legal to do it. And I remember how terrified I was because the entire thing shook like I was a rocket ship trying to freaking break free of the tower. And I immediately pulled it back. Most people won't want to drive that fast. The, the vast majority of us, I got to believe 85 or 95% at least of the population does not want to drive 100 miles an hour or more because it's pretty freaking scary to do it. Even if you are out in a Western flat road that you can see 20 miles down the way. I remember driving over to, to, to uh, we went over to Rushmore, went in through South Dakota, 
same thing as you get over by the Badlands, you can see Rapid City. It's like 30 miles, 40 miles away. You can actually see it. I'd still, I mean, I didn't feel very comfortable, especially with kids in the car driving that fast. So I kind of stuck to the speed limit. So there is a legit question that people are starting to ask. If this is the problem, that it seems like the only people that are driving vehicles faster than 100 miles an hour are people who are stealing them and trying to evade the police and capture why are we doing this? Why do we allow a car to go that fast in the first place? I'll talk more about this when I come on back. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Ooh, I see one of the seals here that they're uh, uh, actually debating right now. And this is the one. Okay, so this is... Um, from, um, this is one from uh, Carolyn Cummings, who was over at Channel Four doing political talk, uh, political news reporting. She uh, says uh, the commissioner chair uh, Lewis Fitch says ten out of thirteen members chose this seal as the top vote getter. It's got a loon that's kind of leaned back and flapping its wings. It's actually quite spectacular. The Great Seal of the State of Minnesota, eighteen fifty eight. It's got little crops on the side. It's got uh, the the loon kind of has a, a bit of a Native American style to it. You got some pine trees. It looks like it's on water. Got some sky. That's a fine. I'm gonna repost this. I'll let you guys see this. I'll, I'll put it up on the under uh, the Twitterverse. Um, that's there. You guys can see that. You know, uh, if you so choose. There. I'll maybe I'll repost repost it somewhere uh, somewhere else out there as well. But no, the the yeah, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, that's an impressive one. Very nice. 952-946-6205. I'm going to get back. Let me get back to the 100 mile an hour. Should we allow vehicles to go more than 100 miles an hour? The traffic signal on North Las Vegas, North Com- Commerce Street had been red for at least 29 seconds when the Dodge Challenger did not slow down. Instead, it flew through the intersection with Cheyenne Avenue at over 100 miles an hour, three times the 35 mile an hour speed limit carnage ensued. The crash that occurred on January 29, 2022 was horrific. The Challenger, driven by Gary Dean Robinson, slammed into the right side of a Toyota Sienna minivan crossing the intersection. Robinson and his passenger were both killed, as well as all seven people in the minivan, including four children. You're going that fast. There's no survivors. There's no survivors. Uh, Erlen uh, Zacharias, the mother of four of the crash victims and sister to another, told the CBS, local CBS station that her family was returning from a visit to a park. I kept calling everyone's phone, and all of them have phones, and nobody answered me. And she said, fearing the worst, she drove to where she imagined the family might be and soon found the crash, and she started screaming. Over 100 Americans die in traffic collisions on an average day. Over 100 people die in traffic collisions in this country every day. But nine fatalities from a single incident is exceptional. Crash investigations are typically handled by local authorities, but in this case, the National Transportation Safety Board also launched one of its own. In its findings and recommendations, which were released last week, NTSB placed blame on Robinson, whose body showed evidence of PCP, alcohol, and cocaine. Robinson also had a history of reckless driving, leading NTSB to cite Nevada's failure to deter the driving speeding recidivism. These findings are related to recommendations and were unsurprising. But NTSB's investigation summary also included something else. An agency recommended that automakers install technology on all new cars that can prevent reckless speeding and, for the first time, call for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to mandate it. And this is an editorial. It's an, this, is, this is an excellent overdue idea. And i got to tell you the truth. I agree. 
concerns about because once again, I mean, if your argument is, well, you should be free, well, you, you can't do this. There is no light meth lane. Okay. Can I just say it like that? You know, meth is illegal. All right. If you're smoking meth, you're wrong. There's no, I only inhaled a little bit of meth. No, we don't do it that way. There is no place in this country where you can drive legally a hundred miles an hour. Why are we allowing it? You're taking away our freedoms. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the same thing that there was. And once again, if you've ever seen the news footage when they stopped, I think it was in 1980, they stopped. It was no longer legal for you to be driving with an open can of beer in your car. And the way that the news covered it back then was, yeah, these people get done with a hard day's work. What do you mean they can't have a beer and drive? And you think about this now, it's such an outrageous argument. You know, it's such a, it's such a crazy straw man argument. But it's, it's hey, we should be able to drink when we get done with work. In a car? And once again, these cars back then, no, no collision glass, just regular glass and metal dashboards. So good luck, kids. Uh, yeah, no, not a good idea. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm going to presume we're going to get people who's like, even though I'm not legally supposed to do this, I should be able to, uh, no concerns about speeding are as old as the automobile itself. In the years after world war one, automobile sales rose sharply and pedestrian deaths surged, especially among children searching the sol for a solution. Safety reforms or reforms turned to devices known as speed governors Kinds called speed limiters. Uh, speed governors were already used to enhance machine efficiency, but the emergence of automobiles created a new potential use case, installing them inside cars to slow them down to reduce crashes. In 1923, Cincinnati residents voted on whether to require motor vehicles within the city's boundaries to have speed governors set at 20, facing furious opposition from the auto industry. The proposal was defeated, but it was 20. But back then, that was flying down the road. As far as I know, the Cincinnati referendum marked the last major effort to require speed governors on American cars to reduce crashes. Ironically, such technology is now common on another comparatively innocuous type of vehicle, shared e-scooters, which are often capped at 15 miles an hour. Modern automobiles do use governors to limit engine damage, but the threshold is set absurdly high, often on 155 miles per hour. Even safety-conscious Volvo allows its cars to reach 112, 27 miles faster than the highest speed limit anywhere in the United States. Of course, most people will frequently drive a bit faster than they're officially supposed to, but there is a world of difference between going a few miles over the posted speed limit and careening around down the road at over 100 miles an hour. Once again, 85 miles an hour is the maximum speed limit posted on any highway in the United States of America. 85. This would still give you 15 miles over the speed limit, which is still insanely dangerous, by the way. Um... There's a world of difference between going a few miles over the posted speed limit, careening down the road at over 100 miles an hour, as Robinson did in the North Las Vegas last year. Unless they are employed in emergency response, no one's speedometer should be hitting the triple digits on public roads. Yet it is regular occurrence. In 2020, California Highway Patrol issued 3,000 tickets that month, per month, for drivers who exceeded 100 miles an hour. 3,000. When I was a kid, if you went that fast, you got arrested, man. That was reckless endangerment with your car. You wouldn't, you, and this is back in the day where 55, maybe 60 miles an hour was the maximum speed. So if you were doing 100, you were 40 miles over the speed limit. Yeah, that you were going to jail in that case. 
Speeding is now a factor in almost a third of the crash deaths in the U.S. The traditional approaches on reducing that toll have all been significant limitations. Police can issue tickets to individual speeders, but law enforcement can hardly be in all places at all times. Automatic speed cameras, which show police to allow police to mail citations directly to vehicle owners, are more effective, but many states such as Jersey and Texas have banned their use, and they're far from ambiguous even when they're allowed. Other partial solutions would be to reconfigure dangerously fast roads with narrower lanes and additionally intersections that naturally lead drivers to slow down, but doing so nationwide could be prohibitive, expensive. It could do little to combat reckless speeding on highways and interstates that facilitate car traffic at speeds at 45 to 85 miles an hour. Jennifer Hominday Chair of the NTSB has lost patience with the standard of set options. If you're serious about addressing 43,000 fatalities on our roads last year, 11,000 of them due to speeding, then we have to be serious about the solutions, she told uh, this the writer. 12,330 people died in the U.S. in speed-related crashes in 2021, the most recent year with available data. NTSB's proposed solution, adopting Intelligent Speed Assist, a modern and techier version of the speed governors that Cincinnati considered a century ago, rather than preventing the vehicle from ever exceeding a given threshold, ISA uses geolocation to automatically reflect the legal limit on a given street or highway. Passive ISA issues audible and haptic alerts to drivers to exceed the top program speed, hopefully compelling them to slow down. Uh, that's not going to do anything. My my car does that right now. I got a little thing on my Sienna that tells me on most roads what what's the speed limit on that road is. So, and it's not that not that I'm flying down the highway here before we get before that's like it's like I'm not going to ignore that. No, I, I see it there. I don't think that the people that are intending most I think a lot of the people that are driving there's a lot of other issues here. I mean, in the case of this guy in Vegas, it was drug use and all these other things. I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know if, if that's a, wait a second, I was going to evade the cops, but the car's telling me to slow down. Okay. No, unless it's kit, you know, I don't think it's going to happen in the EU where residents were, uh, are several times less likely to die in a crash than the U S regulators are required, are requiring that ISA be installed in new cars as of next year, but no similar effort is afoot in the United States. I, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, you're going to try to get the tough guy people who said, who, they're trying to tell us we can't go 100 miles an hour. Well, isn't that illegal? Well, yeah, I'm not saying people should, but, you, you know, you can. I'm not legally, but, yeah, okay. You know, I, I, it is an interesting question. I... I'm getting really tired of seeing these people fly down these highways. And if, you know, you can basically put something in a car that limits them in, hey, we're in Minnesota. I mean, I could I could make an argument 90 probably should be the limit to how fast a car could go. Because that gives you five more miles per hour than the 85 mile per hour speed limit. I, I just, I don't, I, I understand that people are going to be like, Freedom! But there is no freedom to breaking the law. And that's what you're basically saying is I have a right to break the law, which you don't. Like I said, there's no light meth use lane that gets you off the hook. You know, it's just you're using meth or you're not using meth. It's one of the two. You're either speeding over 100 miles an hour or not speeding over the 100 miles an hour. There is no, you know, one's, you know, it, well, speeding at that speed anyway is, is outrageous, but you know, basically, you know, 70 miles an hour and 35 heading northbound. Most people are doing 80 miles an hour anyway. Still got 20 miles to go there. Your, 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 your rights are not being freaking infringed in any capacity. 
952-946-6205. You want to chime in on this? Feel free. You're more than welcome. Oh, I got some turkeys for Thanksgiving week to get to. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Hi, Wondersuade. Uh, they're out uh, apparently in Greensboro, North Carolina, where other people are listening to us. Hello, guys. I... I don't know why all of a sudden I'm the Democratic wonder gem of, of, of Greensboro, but it's a lovely town. Been there. Good stuff. Uh, howdy. Hope you're having a good Thanksgiving week over there. Uh, by the way, also, James uh, uh, posting up here. We have we stream the radio show. It's radio for your eyes. <laughs> uh, you can watch the show if you like. This is exactly why I got into this business. Anyway, you can watch me do this thing. And uh, you just go to, 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 to Twitter, you can go to Facebook, you can go to, uh, is it on YouTube? We are live on YouTube right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet we're hitting all the algorithms right now. Uh, James commenting, Costco gas on Sunday was two thir- uh, $2.93 a gallon, $2.93. Thanks, Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe Biden. I'm just using the Joe Biden standard that they put forward. Uh, when they when when gas prices were high and they want to criticize them, but now they're they're, they're lower and, and we're doing great. Hey, thank you very much. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. No, I, I once again I have zero doubt in my mind that some people will try to argue that if you try to restrict. I mean, there was actually one article. I will say this when I talked about the hundred mile per hour limit. There was one article that said, well, engines are designed that they run better fuel efficiently if you design them so they can go faster. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm going to guess that the, the industry, it's, I don't know why, I don't know why something like this would be a bad idea. But at the same time, you have people that argue against the idea of putting breathalyzers on cars, you know, which would, <laughs> which would dramatically, um, you know, you know, probably decrease the amount of drinking and driving going on out there in America. And yet, you know, that's not going to happen. So uh, Phil is in Golden Valley. He wanted to chime in. Welcome on in, Phil. Hi. Well, you know, in, in various countries in Europe, speeding fines are graduated depending upon your income. So if you are a very wealthy person and you're going 130 miles an hour on the Autobahn in Germany, and you cause an accident, you will get ticketed based on the fact of, let's say, you have a higher than average income, you get a much higher than average fine. There was a couple of fines I remember hearing about recently where people were driving super exotic cars on limited access, multiple lane roads that had high speed limit or no speed limits, and yet they were ticketed for unsafe driving. And in at least one of the cases I can recall, the person's car was taken away from him, and it was like a quarter-million-dollar super exotic car. Wow. His income was very high. He could just go buy another car. It wasn't any, it wasn't any strain on him. But maybe he kind of noticed, oh, I have to, I have to uh, surrender my car because I was being a public uh, nuisance on the road. Well, and, Phil, yeah. I, think, I think one of the other things – thanks, Phil. I appreciate the phone call – one of the other things about Europe too, which uh, we, we we can mention, is and I knew this from when I was stationed over there, and I I knew people who were getting driver's licenses. To get a driver's license in Europe is a long time 
incredibly expensive process. It takes you a lot of time and money to get it. And if you have, you can lose that license fairly easily. So it's like no one over there would even try to drink and drive. Well, I mean, they do. I mean, you still get that a little bit, but it's not like here because if you do, you will lose your license and you will not get it back. You can, you actually have to go make an argument. If you basically lose your license on, you know, you'll have to go and convince people to allow you to get another license, which once again, costs the same amount and takes the same amount of time. So, you know, it is it is a pretty pricey thing over there. So 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, and once again, I will mention the one thing that was said in the article that you had far fewer speeding traffic deaths in, I think it was in England they mentioned, than you have in the United States. So there's a, there is an argument that can be said that, you know, more regulation sometimes does actually solve the problem. As much as as much as some people don't want to agree with that, that is kind of that is kind of the case. Uh, let's talk some turkeys. Hey, you know, um, we have talked about Minneapolis Police Department and police officers overall, and that that there is some problems sometimes with the officers. Now, the vast I'm going to repeat what I've said before: the vast majority of police officers in this state are absolutely outstanding individuals. They deserve as much respect as you can give them, uh, and, and and as much thank you as they do a very tough job, and they do it very well. There is the vast majority of them are unfortunately. There's a lot that don't, and they tarnish the reputation of anyone else. And at any point, if any other police officer wants to jump out there and starts criticizing other officers who are making them look bad, please don't let me get in the way. You know, you can, you can, um, Julio Stallings, I mean, for God's sakes, I am stunned, stunned that not every police officer in the state went out there and absolutely ripped apart the Minneapolis police of the Julio Stallings case. And the most lawyers should have ripped apart the Hennepin County prosecutor for even prosecuting that case. So you do have the ability to, um, go on out and then criticize. So don't let me get in the way of that. And, and you see, part of the problem, I think sometimes is there is undeniable bad behavior, and yet what we do get is we get people who will not, you know, they, they, they don't condemn the, the, the bad behavior we all see is happening. A lawsuit filed in federal court Tuesday allow, alleges two Minneapolis police officers violated the constitutional rights of a man who was filming them with his cell phone by shoving him to the ground and then wrongfully jailing him to hide their conduct. Body camera video from the April 22nd, 2022 incident shows the officers on a rainy street in South Minneapolis asking for Saeed Abdullah, 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 to move his car. Abdullah tells them, uh, tells them a man who he'd asked for help jumping his stall vehicle had assaulted him. The guy is out of control, Abdullah said, as the second officer identified as Sergio uh, Villegas in the search and the civil complaint approaches from behind and forcefully pushes him, sending him toppling backwards to the street. Hey, shouts Abdahali as the other officer grabs his wrist. Stop assaulting me. According to Abdahali's attorney, Jeff Storms, Vihalis uh, described the incident in the report as him pushing Abdahali to the sidewalk. And then Abdahali lost his footing and fell down, dropping his phone. That's not what happened, though. And yeah, you shouldn't be lying on police reports. Uh, the video shows Vihayas pushing Abdahali to the ground. The officer cited Abdahali for misdemeanor disorderly conduct, brought him to jail. So once again, I want to make sure we understand what these officers did. They pushed him to the ground because he was filming them. And then they, they lied about it. 
And then they they took it. They cited him for misdemeanor disorderly conduct because apparently they weren't happy with how he fell after they pushed him, and brought him to the jail. With the lawsuit says was an effort to cover up their unlawful conduct. After spending three nights in jail, the charges were dropped. Three nights in jail for basically not being happy about being pushed to the ground by two cops. Abdulhali, well, that's the allegation at least. Uh, Abdulhali is suing Vihayas Barlow in the city of Minneapolis, alleging the officers used their official capacity to deprive him of his First and Fourth Amendment rights. The lawsuit filed in Minneapolis U.S. District Court describes the officers' conduct as widespread custom of Minneapolis police to retaliate against people who film them, citing charges of a pattern of free speech violations brought by the Justice Department against the Minneapolis this summer. If you haven't read that, I got that post still up on the, the Progressive Citizen X blog, listing page after page after page of unbelievably atrocious behavior by the Minneapolis police discovered uh, by the U.S. Department of Justice. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty horrible there. Um, the most serious force used on Mr. Abdahali is akin to a blindside block, which has caused serious harm and even death in other instances, says Storms. In a statement Tuesday, it is sheer luck that the consequences of this unlawful conduct were not worse. If the MPD is going to make genuine efforts to rebuild this trust with communities of color, this conduct cannot be tolerated and the consequences must be meaningful. Minneapolis spokesperson Casper Hill said the city has not been served with the lawsuit and declined to comment. According to the lawsuit, on that April day, Abdahali's car stalled near 19th Avenue South in Franklin, Frontage Road, and the Cedar Riverside neighborhood. Abdahali asked a man who had in parked car for a jump start, and the man responded with hostility, threatened him, him with a knife and a baseball bat, and calling 911. Abdahali showed the man he had a mace to defend himself. Hayes and Barlow arrived on the scene, and Barlow talked to the still agitated 911 caller in his car. Barlow told the man, there's obviously no threat here and that Abdahali is just an idiot. Abdahali eventually asked to speak with the officer's supervisor and they mocked him, calling him blank stupid. Abdahali recorded the conversation because he felt he was being treated unfairly. Barlow pushed Abdahali twice. Then Abdahali said he wanted to press charges for assault. Abdahali approached and violently pushed to the pavement with punitive intent. So, so... I want to make sure we understand this. These cops show up, basically start insulting the people that are involved, start pushing people around. Once again, this guy hasn't done anything. He basically has got a car that's stalled out and he's looking for help and some guy gets upset and he hasn't done anything. And then just basically because he can tell that the cops are being hostile, starts filming them. They push him and then push him to the ground. Then they throw him in jail for three days. In an effort to basically say, here's what you get for trying to film us. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've just, you gotta stop this crap, Minneapolis police. If this is true, these are allegations. There'll be a, there'll be court costs. Uh, there'll be these things, but you got it on body camera. I'm pretty, I'm presuming body camera video from the incident shows what happened. Yeah. You've got it on body cam. First of all, these two officers should be at the very least severely reprimanded because they lied on an official report. They intentionally pushed this guy around. So let me ask you guys this. You're a cop and you, you go out there and the goal is your main goal just to start pushing people around. Is that what you look, you think your job is protect and serve, you know, shove and, and, and hurt is what I think you think it says. That's not what your job is. You, you shouldn't be 
unless there is a threat to yourself, keep your freaking hands to yourself, for God's sakes. Cops, to your Lord. What are you doing? And I hope that you guys are, you know, hey, I understand there's a cop problem, but this is the problem. This, this stuff, George Floyd, Jaleel Stallings, all the cases that we've had in this city, the African-American population was telling the truth. And now it's only that we have cameras everywhere and we're forcing people because of continued bad behavior. They have to have their body cams on. We're seeing that the black community was always telling the truth about this stuff. But instead of actually solving the problem, you guys are grabbing your toys. I'm going home. Stop pushing the people of Minneapolis around for no freaking reason. What's wrong with you guys? Your your job is not to be a jackass. It just is. How many cases, how much body camera footage is there of other incidents like this that because someone didn't get a lawyer, didn't go to court, that they basically have gotten away with it? I guarantee you this wasn't the only time this happened. Your job as a cop is not to abuse the people of the city. It's to protect and serve the people of the city. And if this is too hard for you to do as a job, then you need to find a different job. Clearly, you shouldn't be a cop. Dear Lord, 952. And once again, allegations, but we got body cam footage. They'll have their day at court. They can present. I hope you guys do go there. Explain to us why the the report was wrong. Why this guy was thrown in jail for three days. What the hell did he do to justify getting chucked into jail for three days? Your guys going to pay taxpayers of the city of Minneapolis. Guess what? Thanks to these guys. What is that going to be? A hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars of your taxpayer dollars going to some guy because these guys don't understand their job is to, you know, not push people around and abuse them. Allegedly. Dear Lord. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. More turkeys when I do come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I think this is our first listener in New Zealand. Jimmy's down in New Zealand, says the current average petrol price here in New Zealand at the moment is $2.80 a liter. So times that by three, $8.40 a gallon. You know, I'm sure Republicans will figure out some way they can blame Joe Biden for that. I'm just going <laughs> to. And by the way, sorry about John Oliver and the whole bird thing, man. It was funny. It was funny. You have to admit. But yeah. I'm glad to see that that bird group got a ton of money down in New Zealand. That is funny. If you haven't seen it, go watch the last week tonight with John Oliver. The last few weeks, it's been a riot. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Hey, another turkey to talk about. This time, we head out of the metro area. Crow Wing County, an Amber Alert issued in July, ended with a two-year-old boy in the hands of police officers who arrested his father. But Fox 9 acquired police body camera videos showing it didn't go down peacefully. One officer opened fire and investigators say it was unnecessary. 
More than three hours into negotiations with a man suspected of kidnapping his son, a Crow Wing County tactical team forced entry into a Baxter garage. Gunfire came immediately surprising some of the officers. What the heck was that? You can hear one of them say in the body camera video. It wasn't from the suspect. It was from another cop. So it was like, I, I can see him. I, I haven't seen the video, but he, what the heck was that, man? What are you doing? That kind of tone. Uh, it also came to a huge shock for the boy's mother, who was standing alongside officers trying to get to her, her ex to surrender. The whole conversation was, when I was th- out there, was about his safety, said Sabrina Satri, uh, S-A-E-T-R-E, Satri, told Fox 9, it was about my son's safety. That was the most important thing. Nobody was hit by the gunfire, but bullet holes in the passenger door and side view mirror hint at near misses. And with his screams, the two-year-old boy made his fear audible. Yeah. Nice job, Johnny Law. You terrified a two-year-old. If they would have been hit a gas can, this would have ended so differently, Satray said. I don't even know if they could have made it out. It was so reckless. On that morning, Satray thought the gunfire was unnecessary. Crow Wing County investigators don't disagree. They didn't invite the BCA to investigate the shooting, but an indisciplinary notice to the sergeant whose AR-15, an AR-15, fired at least twice. They said there was no threat to him at the time. Nobody is disputing there was unnecessary gunfire during the moments where the hostage rescue was taking place, said Captain Adam uh, Kronstedt in a statement to Fox 9. The discharge of the firearm was deemed accidental and occurred during a forced entry into an intentionally barricaded building. The informational law enforcement had at the time of the incident that the car was being, child was being held hostage by a potentially armed individual. Uh, They're making excuses. There was no threat here. And it's not like the gun went because he was ramming against a barricaded door. The gun fired into the ground. He fired the gun at the car with the two-year-old in it. The boy's mother isn't convinced there was not an accidental shooting, Satre, after viewing the video. The sergeant said he didn't remember pulling the trigger according to the discipline notice. Something caught my gun. You could hear him say in the body cam video. Investigators know the safety being off, the trigger being pulled twice shows a combination of failures that does not. So he lied. How is this guy still a cop? He can't be trusted with a gun. And when he does misfire, he's lying about what happened. He shouldn't be a cop. She's right. The mom is 100% right. If this knucklehead would have hit a gas tank, this would have been a far more violent thing. I'm sure the cops would have said, well, from our investigation, the guy set off the alarm. But, I mean, the truth is is the most dangerous person in this situation was this sergeant. It's not nearly enough for the mother who hurt her son's trauma. I mean, my life was turned upside down at the moment, and that guy got to go back to work. The boy's father is facing charges including kidnapping. Seriously, how in the world is this sergeant still employed? He can't be... There should be no one safer with guns than the police because they should know exactly what they do. When I was in the military, we were really safe with the freaking guns because we knew what they would do. This guy should not 
be allowed to have a gun. At the very least, he should be on permanent desk duty and not be able to carry a firearm with him on the job because he has proven that he can't be trusted. His safety was off. They say that the finger pulled the trigger. He says, oh, it must have caught on something. Yeah, your trigger finger. That's what it caught on. Dear Lord, I'm so damn tired of people that don't understand what those damn guns are doing. Be given as many as they want with no consequences whatsoever. Freaking ever. Hour two, it's up next. Two of the show here on your Tuesday. Matt and Patrick and Brett is joining us in studio right now, as he usually does on Tuesdays. Uh, are you heading out of town this weekend? Nope, I'm not heading out of town. Uh. Family's pretty much all around here, so I'm, I don't so, have a car commute at all. But you're driving. Do you have to bring a side dish? No, not really, no. All right. Do you, when whenever I've had people bring a side dish, I always, because I do a lot of the main cooking, so I kind of just, you know, bring rolls, bring something. I'm not looking for you to bring anything major. I know some people that will say, bring a side dish. And if you bring something that's not homemade, they get upset. <laughs> oh, like, really? It's, yeah. It's, uh, okay. You just have to make one side dish. You got to make it though. I mean, I once again, I'll go back to the cranberry sauce. Uh, one bag of cranberries, one cup of water, one cup of sugar, uh, orange zest, orange ju- the juice of one orange. Put it in a pop. When the seeds pop, put them in the thing. Put it in the fridge. It holds up. You're done. There you go. Homemade. Homemade. I'm, I'm, I'm covered. You, you, you're off the hook. Uh, I today made potatoes. Mashed potatoes are done. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, yeah. Okay, so I'm doing pretty well here. I got cranberry sauce done. The butternut squash is done. The green bean casserole is done. The mashed potatoes are done. Um, I got the wild rice done today, too. I do the oven method. That's just the best way to do it. Put it in the oven in a pot with a three cups to one cup ratio and let it go. Nice. So I got that done. And uh, then, yeah. So tonight I got to make a brine up because I got to brine the bird tomorrow all day long because I got to go flip the bird, man. I love flipping the <laughs> put the I've got this big tub, put it in there with the brine, put it in the fridge, flip the bird every once in a once, you know, every uh, you know, six or so hours. And then it's delicious. It's turkey madness. Well, Thanksgiving cooking can put you in the mood to flip the bird sometimes. I flip the bird yes. all the time, my friend. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I can do any kind of segue into the next story, but okay. Uh, Representative Dean Phillips told Axios on Tuesday he will decide over Thanksgiving whether he plans to seek re-election for his House seat. Phillips, who is running for president, my... That is a, I still can't get used to that line. May add a rapidly growing list of House members in both parties abandoning the chamber for either retirement or higher office. Um, I have not made any announcements, Phillips told Axios when asked about his plans for his congressional seat in the Minneapolis suburbs. The three-term congressman said he is planning to make a decision over Thanksgiving. Candidates for Congress have until June 4th, 2024 to file to run the state's August 13 primary, according to the Secretary of State's office. Phillips is waging a long-shot primary bid, to say the least, against President Biden, arguing the 81-year-old incumbent should be, wouldn't be able to defeat President Trump in a potential rematch. No, he would if people basically realize you got a fascist on the other side and that you might not agree with Joe Biden on everything, but getting rid of all your freaking rights is a bad idea. So it's, it's you know, Dean, get over you – know, if, if you don't win your, your, your long-shot campaign – be the big man and get on board with this because there's too much there's too much at stake for a freaking pity party if it doesn't go for your way. Uh, polls have shown Phillips trailing Biden by a significant margin. 
generally polling in the mid-single digits as Biden hovers around 70 percentage points. Biden's already has given up his role as co-chair of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. Several Democrats' candidates have already jumped into the race for Phillips' seat, and the more may soon follow. Uh, DNC official Ron Harris and State Senator Kelly Morrison, a close friend of Phillips, have already filed to run in the third congressional seat next year. Here's the wild card. Secretary of State Steve Simon might run there. He's melling a bit of Phillips' declines to seek another term. I would... Okay. I think he'll win. If Simon Steve Simon runs for that seat, I think he'll win it. Frankly, I really do. But God, man, he is the best freaking Secretary of State I have seen in my entire life. It sounds like we'd have some high-profile names in that CD3 race if yeah. Phillips doesn't run with Kelly Morrison, Steve yeah. Simon. I know there's been some other names that have been rumored as well. So it's Ron Harris, yeah. Ron Harris, yeah. yep. I know he's already in the race. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I you know, it's it's I don't know where it's gonna go, but I would say this as, as I would say yeah, if Steve, Steve, are you sure? You know, you're great, Secretary of State, dude, man. You are the best Secretary of State I've ever seen, and I get it. You know, when that guy showed up on my, he ran for the House seat, my House seat. We were we were voting for a guy. This is back when Republicans could be somewhat moderate, and Jim Rhodes was a family friend. So Jim Rhodes was the Republican that was running in this Hopkins race. And to the door comes Steve Simon, talks to us for about 20 minutes. And my wife and I look at each other. It's like, I can't vote for Jim. This guy's too good. And that was my, you know, I, you know, Steve Simon is amazing secretary of state. He's an amazing candidate. He's, I would, you know, heck, I, I could see him getting even higher office. But you are such a good secretary of state. I'm still in a little stunned right here when you said you had a Republican come to your door in Hopkins or you oh, used to know one. Well, no, they used to, our house rep used to be a Republican. When I moved into my neighborhood, to give, tell you how far the Republican Party has you know, because of their f- sole focus on rural Minnesota, they used to win some of these suburban seats. Uh, Keith Downey used to be the Edina rep, or was he, was he a Edina senator? Oh, he was an Edina. Yeah, yeah, he was a Edina senator. <laughs> Good luck, Republicans in Edina now. <laughs> Good luck in Eden Prairie. Good luck in Minnetonka. You're not, you're, your brand doesn't sell, and those used to be all Republican areas. And so, yeah, it's – I'm not – yeah, I, I – it, it, you know, Jim Rhodes was, you know, here's the thing I love about Jim Rhodes. Jim Rhodes has his own charity where he gets people to donate musical instruments and he gets them to kids. And he has gotten so many kids musical instruments. Yeah, I just, I, I, you know, and it was, like I said, it was a family friend sort of thing. So um, second of all here, and this is, I think this is the most important news of the Thanksgiving week. A moose is making its way through central Minnesota. <laughs> it's gained a lot of popularity on social media. The Facebook group Central Minnesota Moose on the Loose has documented a young moose's journey that started in Iowa. In Iowa? Where's a moose in Iowa? Did someone take it down there? Yeah. (laughs) It started in Iowa, continued north through Minnesota, has gained over 15,000 followers since it was first spotted in late September. Heck, I'd be running north, too, if I was in Iowa. It's like, what the? No, 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 no. Yeah, as much as I'm fascinated by the journey, I want to know where it was before Iowa. Yeah, well, how did you get to Iowa? Did you take a boat? (laughs) Is that a river trip? (laughs) Was the current pretty high that day? We're going for some delicious watercress on the shoreline, and whoop, down you go. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm in Decora. Uh, I, I have no idea that I, how. There's, that did it get loose? Is is the moose really actually on the loose? Is there like a petting zoo that doesn't have its moose anymore? <laughs> well, those famous Iowa moose <laughs> petting zoos. 
<laughs> Never really quite took off in Iowa. <laughs> well, because the moose could toss you about 40 <laughs> yards if it got too close to it. So I don't, by the way, don't, Matt's safety tip for the holidays, don't try to pet a moose. It will not go well for you. All right. The moose is not going to, they don't have time for you. Some of the posts show the moose ranging in given names such as Rut and Bullwinkle in Medalia, Glencoe, Spicer, Sock Rapids, Melrose, to name a few. I can tell why it keeps heading north. The moose, <laughs> sorry, God, that was cold. Sorry, that's on me. Sorry. The moose in question appears to be yearling as well. According to the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, calves remain with their mothers uh, 12 to 18 months and then set out on their own. Concerns rose as the moose approached the busy, busy Interstate 94 in Sauk Center. However, someone posted on Sunday that the moose was spotted near Long Prairie, suggesting it found a way across the interstate. Well, I mean, there's this, you, you can get the toll lane. You know, you just take advantage of that <laughs> and Uber across. Concerns rose as the moose, uh, excuse me, as a Tuesday morning, the last documented location of the animal was Browerville, Minnesota. How far north is Browerville? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's getting up there. Head. It's it's getting up towards more traditional moose territory. Yeah, no kidding. I'm actually flabbergasted. How in the world did this moose get down to Iowa? Yeah, that's the most fascinating question. How was it? <laughs> did someone like let a <laughs> okay, so pet moose loose or if, something? If or the what? moose is in your cornfield, you're going to still, even if it's the, the full height of the corn, you're still going to say, hey, uh, you see that big thing moving through the cornfield over there? It's a moose. They're not native down there. I mean, as a matter of fact, I mean, I haven't, where our cabin is at, north of Virginia, Minnesota, they, they, they used to have moose there back in like the 1920s, 1930s. The moose used to be around that area. I've not seen a moose there. I've not, in my lifetime, I, I don't think, I think my dad's only seen one or two. Uh, so that was his, his parents' generation that used to see moose up there. I saw one in Bemidji. I, I, I flushed it with a mountain bike, and that was, yeah, that's a big animal, man. Um, saw one there. Most of the ones I've seen very north shore as you're heading out towards Thunder Bay, and then I've seen them in Canada. But I've not, I, I can't remember the last time I saw one anywhere like in the Iron Ranger, in the, even in the prairie areas of the state. Yeah, I was thinking maybe northern Minnesota, more likely Canada, where you're going to find them with climate change going sort of the same way as the wolves, where you just don't see them very much anymore. Well, the wolves got they're, well, they're out in Isabella in that area. They get out in that 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 part of kind of east of Embarrass before you get to the North Shore. They, they, I mean, heck, there are people in there that <laughs> no one's seen in 20 years. There, it's a little bit of a thick wood. <laughs> so uh, they they yeah they don't get seen if they don't want to get seen. And then of course they're up in the Boundary Waters and. Uh, up into Quantico on the, on the the Canadian size, uh, but it, it's the you know yeah I, I've I, I'm just stunned that this moose was in Iowa, I, and I'm dead serious when I say did someone take the moose down there and it got loose? Would moose have even been in Iowa like in the 19th could, century could, back when we uh, probably not? Months. I mean yeah. they, they the forest they they were yeah. they're they pretty much down to the metro area back when they first got here. But, I mean, I wonder, did some idiot take a moose down there and a calf to, like, a hunting area? You that know, raises I, another question. I want to see the guy getting the moose down to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> you pull that off. Here, boy. Here. A lot of bungee cards on top yeah, of the old yeah. Honda Accord there, you know? Yeah, because that's... <laughs> it's going to buckle out the roof. You don't need to buff that out a little bit. I don't know if you can put that thing, like, in a horse trailer. It's probably not going to be too happy in there. <laughs> the antlers would stick out the side yeah. of it. <laughs> there. I told you about the car, right? 
We were up in Bemidji. Patrol comes out and says, you got to go see this. A, a car hit a moose. The moose was so unhappy about the car hitting him, it thrust one of its antlers through the hood and into the engine block <laughs> and basically walked away with the, the antler still in the car engine. I'm like, okay, yeah, don't mess with moose, man. Don't pet the moose. Matt's safety tip of the day. Uh, Cooligan, you got Patrick Cooligan from The Reformer joining us. Yeah, a number of stories we're talking about today, including his column talking about uh, regulatory capture and how, uh, going back to the uh, little bit of a debacle we had with the head of the cannabis department, of course, uh, yes. getting busted for uh, advertising illegal THC products. Patrick has some more thoughts on that and why it's important that we uh, need to have people outside of the industry that they're regulating being the regulators. What a concept. Yes, indeed. Uh, Patrick Gulligan from the Minnesota Reformer joining Brett right now, right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon as we are joined by Patrick Hulican, the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer over at minnesotareformer.com as we are going to be talking about some of the latest stories that they have been working on here during this Thanksgiving week as we are going to be talking about uh, Patrick's column that brings up the fact that maybe we need to have someone who has a little bit more of a regulatory background in charge of the Department of Cannabis. We'll also be talking about the performance of the Minnesota Parents Alliance in many school board races in the elections from a couple of weeks ago and how they had very disappointing results. We'll talk about where they go next. Plus, we're going to be talking about PFAS chemicals and the relationship to the uh, defense industry and how even though we're trying to ban some of these PFAS chemicals, there is some pushback from the military military industry since they do use many of those chemicals in uh, some of the some of the equipment that they make. So Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's start off talking about your column because you had an interesting correspondence with a member of the Walls administration a while back when they first appointed a commissioner of the Department of Cannabis. That was back when it was announced that Aaron Dupree, who is the owner of a THC store that was later uh, caught advertising illegal THC products, was named the head of the cannabis department. And you kind of jokingly asked that official from the Walls administration if they would soon be putting a 3M executive in charge of water quality. The Walls official responded by saying a better analogy would be a farmer appointed the commissioner of agriculture. But uh, this is kind of an example of a government regulator kind of working hand in hand or hand in glove with the industry that they regulate. We see this all the time, whether it's in agriculture or finance, and it looked like we were going to potentially have this same thing happen with the Department of Cannabis, or uh, another term that you might know of. It's called regulatory capture. And we do see this all the time in government throughout all sorts of industries, and we well nearly saw it in the cannabis industry here in Minnesota as well. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I think the... Uh... The, the classic example are, are often when, when Republicans are elected uh, president and you see they'll put, uh, like, for instance, pre- uh, former President Trump had a, a coal industry lawyer as the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, they take it to a kind of laughable um, extent the, the, of putting uh, somebody, a re- putting a, a regulator in charge who is, is very cozy with the industry they're supposed to be regulating and uh, that, that was certainly my, my first impression when they made this uh, appointment, which, of course, was quickly withdrawn because it, was, it turned out she was not really properly vetted. Um, and then I thought that, that when they responded, uh, when, the, when the administration responded to me, 
And I, you know, I was kind of saying, like, this seems like industry, uh, this seems like regulatory capture. And then to say, well, it's like putting a farmer in charge of the Department of Agriculture. Well, you know, okay, so you're almost conceding the point um, that that we ought to have uh, somebody from, from the industry um, overseeing regulation of that industry. And um, I think it's if we're going to have good government, uh, we need to have a, a, a bright line uh, between uh, the industry and, and the regulators uh, who, who are overseeing that industry and making sure that rules are followed. And, um, you know, it's not an academic exercise. It's the, the, the rules that we put in place are very important. They need to be clear and they need to be consistently uh, followed and, and consistently enforced. And, and that's how we have clean air and water and uh, it's, it's how we prevent airline crashes and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we, we live in a, in a regulated economy and we can argue about whether or not it's too too much or too little. Um, but for those regulations we have, they, they ought to be, um, they ought to be enforced by, uh, by somebody who is looking out for the public's interests and not the industry's interests. And, um, and so that's that's really my concern here, um, enterprise-wide as far as state government and federal government goes, but especially in this case of, of the Office of Candidates Management, where you have a product that um, I mean I was long favor of legalization um, and and editorialized as much, but I also see the risks here. Um, you know, it it's it is a a, a mind-altering substance. We got to keep that in mind and, and have a regulatory structure in place that will um, do what we we want insofar as keeping kids from uh, uh, consuming it, um, that will uh, to pay attention to addiction and recovery, uh, that will look out for crime surrounding the product, um, and also product purity and safety. Um, you know, we need regulations in place and a regulator uh, who's going to do a good job uh, uh, overseeing the uh, Office of Canvas Management, not somebody who is uh, um, in bed, for lack of a better phrase, uh, with the industry. Exactly. And I want to bring up a, something you wrote about and how when you lived in Nevada back in a previous professional life, you had a chance to see how this kind of worked with the gambling industry in Nevada, where oftentimes you had people who were the regulators that, well, a few years later, they would end up getting a very cushy job within the gambling industry, which largely led to kind of a revolving door and a lack of a, a real lack of public trust when it comes to, well, who's going to regulate these industries when someone can just say, well, they're all corrupt anyways. Why should I pay attention? Why do we even need regulations in the first place? Yeah, one of the problems when, uh, as you point out, my when I covered uh, the gambling industry in, in Nevada, there was just no question about who was really running things there, and it was the industry, not the regulators. And uh, and there was this revolving door of uh, folks who would go from uh, the big uh, law firms that uh, you know that did the, the gambling regulatory compliance work, then they would go into the uh, they would become regulators. Then they go to the companies, um, just back and forth, and um, it really made you question um, how how much the uh, the rules were were being enforced. And and you're talking about in this case the the casino industry 
billions of dollars coming washing in and out and there's all kinds of opportunity for for organized crime and uh, all kinds of nefarious activities around that industry and so it really needs uh, a a close uh, regulatory uh, framework and uh, and what I saw was some was something else entirely and I, I think that's what we uh, want to avoid and I, I think you you uh, uh, kind of hinted at this one of the problems when we see this regulatory capture when uh, when, when a regulated industry uh, has too much uh, control over the over the regulator, uh, is everybody gets very cynical about the whole thing, and we just say, "Well, screw it. Why, well, why are we even doing this?" Um, and so it becomes an argument to deregulate. And uh, I don't think that's a good move either. And I mean, it's, it's especially um, in an industry like cannabis or like casino gambling or let's say banking, where there is a real significant downside risk. Um, if you deregulate and you have kind of a wild west behavior. And finally, what are your thoughts on the new search that the Walls administration is going through right now? Because it certainly seems like they're taking a little bit more time uh, in terms of finding a new head of the cannabis, uh, the Department of Cannabis, and they uh, appear to be emphasizing the fact that they are looking for someone that has more regulatory experience rather than, well, industry experience. Yeah, I, I like the fact that Wall, Governor Walls has said, you know, he's taking his time, um, and and he's and he's looking for somebody who's uh, it's potentially out of state. Especially if you're looking for for somebody with with any kind of cannabis regulatory experience, it's going to have to be, you know, Colorado, Washington, a few other states that have done this have been uh, legal for for some years. Uh, I, th- I think that's the right approach. I, I don't necessarily think that. I mean, I think if, if you have somebody with regulatory experience, they don't necessarily have to have cannabis uh, regulatory experience. Uh, a good regulator is a good regulator. Um, so, but overall, I'm glad they're taking their time. Um, I will say though that they're they're way off schedule. I mean, the, the 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 law passed in in uh, late May. It went into effect August 1st. They're trying to have licensed uh, dispensaries open next year. And, you know, right now they don't have a leader. And, um, and, the, and the first thing that leader is going to have to do is hire a bunch of people. So um, it's it's a little concerning that, uh, that they're pretty far behind schedule at this point, I would think. We can read more about that column over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. I want to briefly touch on another piece of news that has to do with the Minnesota Parents Alliance because a few weeks ago, back when we had our 2023 elections, they had a somewhat disappointing election day as they only had 11 of their 44 endorsed candidates end up winning their local school board races, although the MPA, or Minnesota Parents Alliance, did have a little bit of more luck in the Anoka and Hastings school district races, but overall a pretty disappointing evening. So I'm curious, how are they reacting to the results that they saw a few weeks ago? What are they planning next? And I guess also, what were your overall thoughts on on how they did and maybe why they underperformed? Yeah, I mean... um... They did well in a couple of districts, including the state's largest school district. So I think that's that's notable. Uh, our reporter, Michelle Griffith, went to a, a meeting they held. that was kind of a, a bit of an autopsy post-election. And I think the, the point that they made, which I think is worth worth uh, worth noting, is is that they're in this for the this is the, the long haul. And, and they, they understand that um, this could take um, many cycles, many years. Um, to, to bring the plan to fruition. 
And, you know, I think on, on the um, right side of the political spectrum, uh, we saw uh, folks, we've seen repeatedly folks that, that had that long game in mind on abortion, um, on business deregulation, on, uh, on tort, they call it tort reform. It really is, is taking away people's right to sue uh, corporations. Um, all that, all, uh, many, many of those projects of the, of the Republican conservative movement have been decades in the making. And uh, I think that's the right way to look at politics. And, and so that really caught my, my eye when I saw that. The other thing is that they, for whatever their ultimate aims, which you never really know necessarily, they're not going to tell me. But for now, you know, they're focused on, they really kind of avoided the culture war uh, issues that that uh, some of their right-wing education uh, groups have taken up in other states. Um, you know, the, the kind of CRT book banning, that kind of thing. Um, they seem to be uh, what I think is shrewdly more focused on academic achievement. And, um, and what they say is, is, it, is an effort to depoliticize the schools, which is um, I'm, seems disingenuous to me um, because what they, I, you know, to speculate about their ultimate aims as far as putting their own political ideology in the schools. Um, but for now, they're focused on academic achievement and, you know, who can argue with that? Um, so uh, I, I still think there's something there, you know, if, if they remain um, focused and committed and, and take that long range view, I, I still think they can have a, they can have an impact um, on the future of Minnesota education. And then, of course, they, when you get a, 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 an attractive candidate on a, on a school board, that's a good place to run for, for other offices. Um, and so I think that's the other part of what they're doing here is it's not just school boards, it's, uh, it's um, developing candidates for the legislature. You can read more about that uh, and kind of the autopsy that was performed by the uh, Minnesota Parents Alliance and, and what Michelle Griffith wrote over at MinnesotaReformer.com, MinnesotaReformer.com. And one last piece of news to talk about today, and this uh, comes courtesy of KFF Health News via The Reformer, is that we've uh, been frequently talking about, uh, at least on our interviews that we do every Tuesday, about the damage caused by PFAS chemicals throughout Minnesota uh, by 3M and notably how there is polluted drinking water in the East Metro talked about that a few times on the show. But what happens as we continue to try to regulate these PFAS chemicals and get these out of our waterways and get these out of the environment? What happens when there's inevitably going to be pushback? Because this is an interesting uh, article to, that you guys wrote about over at minnesotareformer.com. It's this new report from the Department of Defense that talks about PFAS chemicals and how they're present in a lot of critical military equipment like helicopters, airplanes, submarines, missiles, torpedoes, tanks, and assault right and assault vehicles rather so uh the department of defense is making a push saying hey we need to slow down when it comes to trying to ban these pfas chemicals so this does sort of continue a tradition we've all often seen when we have environmental regulation we sometimes get pushback from either the private sector of uh well industry or the military in this case so probably not too surprising that we are seeing some pushback on this regulation we've been seeing on pfas chemicals Right, and, and in this case, it's <laughs> excuse me, both <clears throat> the, the Pentagon and uh, private industry. The uh, 
for some reason the well I know why but the the, the Department of Defense commissioned the, um, the American chemical um, industry to do the re- the report um, the American Chemistry Council it's called uh, which I found uh, a bit disheartening because I don't know that the American Chemistry Council um, uh, is set up to do a, a, a good objective uh, report on the danger of PFAS. Um, and, and the report, uh, you know, not, not surprisingly says that uh, we need to slow down, as you say, on uh, curbing the use of these because they're, they're so vital to uh, national security. And I mean, I would say it's hard to argue with that. I mean, the, the, there's a reason these chemicals are in such wide use is because they're incredibly valuable. Uh, the, the problem is that they don't break down the environment and they uh, cause, or at least uh, we uh, fear uh, that they contribute to uh, a, a bevy of uh, illnesses, um, including cancers. Um, so, uh, and I will also say that this is, uh, we heard this first back in the spring um, when uh, we we actually published a story in which uh, Congresswoman Betty McCollum, uh, she herself said, uh, we're probably going to have to, until we can come up with alternatives, um, we're, we're going to have to continue using PFAS. And all this, all this flies in the face of uh, 3M's announcement uh, late last year that they were going to stop making them. Um, and so this issue is um, very complicated very difficult and not going to go away anytime soon. Um, indeed, the chemicals just continue to, to build up um, all over the world. We can read more about that again from KFF, KFF Health News via the Reformer over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. We are just about out of time for today's interview. We have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan. He is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, again, over at minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950. Oh, Elizabeth uh, on Twitter posting one of the greatest Thanksgiving moments of the history of mankind. Sarah Palin decided to do an interview in front of a turkey uh, machine where basically they were being lowered into a funnel to have their heads removed. And she's sitting there talking. Hey, this is great. <laughs> and the guy, as he's holding the turkey, he just, what are you doing over there, man? This is not a pleasant thing. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. No, it's not a pleasant thing. Okay, social media in the last hour has exploded with all the flag designs suck. Why aren't they making my flag design the flag design I want? Uh, okay, because a you're not part of this committee, but come on, just stop, will ya? You know, it's, it's okay, we do realize there's 5.7 million people in this state, and I guarantee you pretty much everyone is probably going to have a little bit of a different tweak to it. Let them at least come up with the designs, and then we can vote on them. Because I'm, t- I, you know, it it just is, it's the, the desire for people to be contrarian almost immediately is, is old and tired, to say the least. It, it is old and tired. Oh, the, all the flags suck. Oh, boo, boo, hoo, hoo. Yeah. 
Well, since we were only here to try to make you happy, I guess we failed. Oh, no, not that person. Come on. It's, you know, I, you know, I, I, I personally think on the, the list of the final nine, they're kind of got down to nine right now. And that final nine, there's at least four on there that I'm like, okay, I'd be cool with that as our state flag. Absolutely. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. I want to start uh, this, this last segment here by giving Katie Affelt, Aff, uh, Affelt, uh, excuse me, A-A-F-E-D-T, Affed. Effet? Katie Effet? I have no idea how you pronounce the name. A-A-F-E-T-D. She is the soon-to-be former head coach of the girls' soccer team over at Edina High School. They had a pretty good season. They went undefeated, and they won the 3A tournament championship, so good for them. Uh, she has resigned after nine, 11 seasons as the Hornets head coach and 21 years overall with the program. Um, her sanity was the, only, was, was the only loss she experienced. She raced from practice more than a few times to try to catch her daughter Reese's games at Blake. Reese, a goalkeeper, was a, bear, was a bearish freshman this season. Mom knows the clock is ticking on her ability to be a fan. Mom and daughter, previ- daughter previously agreed they wouldn't want the player-coach dynamic in the relationship. I only saw five of her games all year, said Katie. That slowly killed me. And that's why she's trending the sidelines for the bleachers, although the decision was without tears. Uh, Katie, with all due respect, first of all, apologies for not being able to pronounce your name right. Um, with all due respect, you're making the absolute right choice. I, I can say this as a guy that has three kids. My oldest now is getting ready to graduate college. Um, one's a freshman in college, one's a junior. You, you don't get a second go at that. You don't get a second go at that. And so as hard as that choice was, I can't commend you enough for your decision. I think that that's, it, 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 it shows me your priorities are, and, and sometimes it, it's a hard choice, but you know, you've shown me that your priorities are, are, are pretty solid there. 952 um, 952-946-6205. I want to talk a little bit about education because we need to understand there there is too much of the demographic, speaking of contrarian mentalities, because of Democrats and their contrarian mentality, we got Donald Trump in 2016. We did. And it blew my mind. People didn't, you know, kind of sit back and, and say, you know, I get it. Hillary is not your your best choice, but you do realize you do re- agree with her on probably 75, 80% of things, whereas you agree with the other guy like on 5% of things. And it never, apparently it never seemed to cross anyone's freaking mind that decided to sit this one out or whatever and in 2016. And we're in this mess now because of all that. We're in this mess now because of all that. I don't want to see another run at this. And I get it. There are people that have very strong passions about a lot of issues. There isn't a single issue that you are upset about that somehow is going to get a thousand times better if Republicans are in charge. As a matter of fact, it's going to get monumentally worse. And I'm going to start over the next few months talking about some of these specific issues. 
and making sure you understand, I get it. You might not be the happiest with Joe Biden on how some things have gone, but you're a freaking idiot if you think giving Trump the reins is a good idea. And I get it. You think to yourself, well, I just, I, I, I want to protest. I just, I mean, he's not earned my vote. Dude, you've got to get over that stuff. Someone's going to win this election. And if it's not Joe Biden, it's going to be Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump gets into power, this country is done. They are already talking about rounding people up and putting them in concentration camps. And they're doing it with smiles on their faces and patting each other on the back. So it's time for everyone to put on their big boy and big girl pants and understand we've got a freaking country to save. So let's start with education today. Now, actually, one of the things which was really interesting was a reminder of when I was down in New Orleans week plus, a week ago, we had a, a tour where the woman talked about, we went past these schools that had the name McDonough on them. And um, it, it was apparently this was a wealthy guy who died and left an insane amount of money to the city of New Orleans to build public schools, which were not a common thing at that point. This was like the 1840s. Now, granted, this guy was a slave owner and he didn't exactly wasn't looking to try to help the African-American population. It was it was, you know, there was a, there was, you know, definitely a lot of problems with that. But what he had done was give the option of a the first public schools in New Orleans. And this is 1841. People think that public schools, I think we are so far away from it, we don't realize that the concept of schools, of education, of an educated populace, this is something that is not as old as a lot of people think it is. Before that, wealthy people and wealthy, wealthy white people, mm -hmm. wealthy white people were the only people for the most part that were allowed to get an education. And everyone else was left to menial tasks whether you worked on a farm or you worked in a factory at eight, nine, 10 years old, working 20 hours a day, generally sometimes six or seven days a week. It was pretty ugly, but that's what the system was. The concept that we were going to educate people and definitively in the South, that was predominantly white kids, uh, white poor kids got public education eventually, I mean, we talked with uh, Dolores Pringle over in South Carolina. It wasn't until 1951 that the first African-American in South Carolina was able to graduate with a high school degree. In They could only take school up to sixth grade for many years. And they finally, the, in 1951, 1951 was the first year that African-Americans were allowed to graduate high school in South Carolina. So this idea of public school has not been around long and Republicans are doing everything in their power to get rid of it. And this would be an absolute disaster if the Republicans get in charge, Trump gets back in there because you don't understand how evil their plan is. Their plan is privatization, vouchers, and stuff like this. Private school vouchers, charter schools, basically take the money that's set aside for the public school system and give it to private individuals for a worse product. Now, I want to start off with this one 
um, note that was put out by the NCPE. Who benefits from school vouchers? The majority of vouchers used in states have never are being used by people who have never attended public school in the first place. Because when the argument is was when they talk about we are going to get public, we're going to get private school vouchers to public school kids. We're going to let those public school kids get a private school education. That's the entire argument. That is a lie. In Florida, 70% of the people who get private school vouchers never once attended a public school in their life. 70% of the vouchers in Florida go to kids who are already at private school, which basically means taxpayers are now paying for wealthy people's kids to go to private school. Wisconsin, 70, was it 75%? 75% of the vouchers in Wisconsin that go to private schools, 75% go to kids who never once ever spent a day in a public school environment. 75% of the private school vouchers are going to wealthy people and it's basically taxpayers paying for wealthy people to go to private school. Arizona is 80%. 80% of the kids that get a private school voucher never once went to a public school. They're just wealthy people getting their, their public education paid for by tax dollars. And in New Hampshire, it's 89%. 89%, basically nine out of every 10 kids that gets a private school voucher in New Hampshire, nine out of every 10 is a private school, silver spooned, wealthy kid who's now just because of this voucher program, they can have the taxpayers pay for their private school education. They are trying to kill public education because they don't want you to think you can have anything more than a factory line job or sweeping the floor in a, in, in a building. That's th this, this is a war for public education. So you may not like all the things that go on with public education right now, but if you want freaking public education, you better freaking vote Democrat because the Republicans are trying to kill it. More on that when I do come back. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So if we don't vote Democrat... And, and not just this upcoming election, but every freaking election for like the next 15 years for sure. Then the Republicans are going to get in charge. And one of the things I'm going to start breaking down exactly what Republicans have said they're going to do. They want to get rid of public education completely. They want to go to either a full charter school concept, which once again, we have testing that shows charter schools get lower scores than public schools. So we'll get a worse quality of education. But you know who makes a lot of money? Private companies that run the charter schools. Or the private school voucher programs, which basically seem to have basically all the taxpayer money going to help wealthy people, wealthy people get a free education at a private school for their wealthy silver spoon kids. It's other places too. 
Chisago Lake School District officials on Monday said that the district needs an increased funding is dire after a $23 million bond referendum and a 355 per pupil increase in school operating levies failed on election day. The school board has already made $4 million worth of budget cuts in the last five years to keep up with the operational costs, according to board vice chair Jeff Lindemann, who's added he's not sure how to make up the difference without changing a change at the state level. We have cut teachers. We have cut staff. We have cut our programs. Lindemann said. Now, I'm going to guarantee you, as all this is going on, there's enough fools in the Chisago Lake School District high-fiving each other saying, we sent a message, do more with less. And basically, they're the same people saying, what do you mean my kids' schools got classrooms got 45 kids per class? There's some definite needs for safety and security to be addressed, said Superintendent Brian Dietz. Chicago Lakes Middle School is having top priority for security updates, including the entry where the school lacks the growing standard of having a centralized office where visitors can check in upon arrival. You basically are buzzed in and you're on campus at that point. There's no safe, uh, it's not safe in today's world. Perhaps more even striking is the third floor classrooms. Many of them don't have doors. So there's a little bit, they don't have doors in their school and people are saying, you're wasting my taxpayer dollars. God. So there's a little bit of uh, privacy for people walking by. Uh, but the biggest thing here is there's not a locked secure door. Um, they listed other big ticket repairs the district needs, including roofs that are basically end-of-life parking lots and other concrete work. He and Lindemann said that the only two years they failed bond referendums and levy increases the district has left without the means to fix anything, much less retain its teachers who, got that, who could make ten dollars to $30,000 more in neighboring districts, according to Lindemann. The way we fund schools is archaic. Things need to change. I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, Minnesota school districts are largely funded on a per-pupil basis, currently at a rate of 86863 Now, that being said, this is the system we've got right now. And conservatives try to basically stop these referendums because they, they, they try to insist to people, oh, it's just teachers having bonbons and tr trying to not do as much work as possible. So we can't give it to them. And the reality is the school district doesn't have one of their buildings doesn't have freaking doors on the classrooms. Doors. They got roofs that are falling apart. And conservatives can't hide them, fire themselves enough. But yet when, when basically teachers leave the school district and parents are leaving and they're open and rolling out of the district, the same people are, why, why are they not here? Now, I'm going to go back to something I have said. I think in Chisago, uh, the Chisago Lake School District, I think what you have to do is this. We are going to cut the football program and the hockey program unless we basically get this referendum passed. And I hate to say it, but my guess is, is a lot of these same people who are, you're wasting my taxpayer dollars. With all of a sudden the athletic program was going, wait a minute, we need to have the sports. And, you know, frankly, you know, it's, it's at this point, it's the community itself is saying, we don't value education so much. So you might as well open enroll into a different school district because these school districts suck. And once again, before you say to me, Matt, you're being too harsh on Chicago Lakes, they don't have doors on some of their classrooms. Doors. This is not exactly high-end new technology. <laughs> and yet you, you fools in the, they're basically saying, we're not going to waste our taxpayer dollars. Well, fine. Then watch your school district die. Because that's Republican education policy. 
They don't want a successful education system. They want it to die. And if they can do it one way or the other, they will. Reminder, you might not agree with all the Democrats, but for God's sakes, they're a hell of a lot better than the Republicans. Native Roots is up next. We're back tomorrow. Till then, see ya.